Welcome to Just Around the Corner with Dennis Mansfield, a podcast focused on inspiring and resourcing leaders. Today's episode focuses on how longevity of life, of marriage, of your health, of your career happens. The view of this is through the eyes of a successful professional and a successful marriage partner. May this inspire you as a leader. My guest today is an educator, a mother, and a very young-looking grandmother of five. I'm your host, Dennis Mansfield. Over the years, I've enjoyed hosting a number of media shows on radio, on television, and now on this podcast. I've had the honor of interviewing foreign policy experts, elected officials, entertainers, entrepreneurs, employees, and educators. I'm not quite certain that I've ever interviewed today's guest on any of those past platforms. So this may be a first for both of us. Please welcome Susan Mansfield, a graduate of California State Polytechnic University with a BA in liberal arts, an educator for 40 plus years, originally in public school, then in private school and homeschool, and then a decade plus of returning to public school as a fifth grade teacher. And she's my bride of 43 years plus. Susan Mansfield, welcome to this episode. Thank you, I'm excited to be here. You know, you've had longevity in your education career, teaching first grade students from the late 1970s, who are now I think in their early 50s, if I'm not mistaken, to the class you teach today of fifth graders. What's motivated you to keep teaching all these years? You know, I think it's just that I want to have some influence over our culture. And I love watching kids learn. It's so exciting to watch that light bulb go off in their head, be it teaching them reading or writing or something new in science. It's exciting. And um, so I've just enjoyed every piece of it. You know, from my early years teaching first grade all the way through homeschooling our own children and um, then some private schooling and now teaching fifth grade. It's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of hard work, um, but I'm glad I'm there. So, so during those many years, you've had to balance work as an educator with work as a mom. What parallels do you see in both those jobs? I think it takes a lot of organization to be any kind of working mom. Um, if you're not organized, it takes a bigger toll on you. It's a lot more stressful. But um, I think the parallels are you have to love what you're doing, number one. Um, I've found that loving my own children, you know, and then loving children of other people um, there were some just real parallels there. And um, at the end of the day, you know, kids at school, kids at home all need kind of the same things. They need a nurturer and they need to know boundaries and they need to kind of have someone to hold their hand and say, you can do this, you know, you can do this. And so it's the same at home or at school. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. You know, one of the toughest jobs in the world is being a parent. We know that. It may be that an even tougher job is being a spouse, <laughs> or more specifically, 
being married to one's specific spouse. In this case, me. Anyway, sweetheart, how have you managed to keep the joy of our marriage going so that the longevity of our marriage is actually joyful year after year? Wow, that's there's so much to going into a good marriage. Um, for one thing, you need to persevere because it's not always easy. It can always be joyful and you can always find things to be thankful for, but it is not always easy. You just don't know what's going to be thrown at you from one day to the next. You might think today's a great day and things are going well and tomorrow is not because of circumstances either in your control or out of your control. And so I think it's just moving through day to day, keeping your head up and and struggling together, but also laughing together and loving together and growing together and understanding one another. And that means communication. Without communication, you really, you don't know where the other person's at. And um, you also need to be able to forgive each other. There are times when I know I have done something that I really needed to ask forgiveness for. And, you know, that can be difficult. But the sooner we learn to do that, the deeper our relationship can go. Susan, it really is fun to have you in studio uh, for this episode on our podcast. Hey, give the listeners a little background on your folks and what you saw in the 18 years that they were married. Hmm, that's, that's an interesting one. So my parents were married 18 years, as Dennis just said, and I thought at my 12 years of age that they were doing well. I didn't see... I didn't know the ins and outs of their marriage, but when they said they were going to get a divorce, I had no feelings of, oh my gosh, it's a good thing because they've been fighting. They just didn't fight. I never had heard them fight. But what that tells me now is they didn't communicate. So one of them was probably stuffing it, and the other one might have been more content. I don't know, but somehow they missed each other. And so... um my mother ended up having an affair. My dad wanted to forgive her and continue in the marriage, but she was not um, satisfied with that and ended up in five marriages, which was, you know, hard to watch. My dad um, ended up marrying another woman who I love dearly to this day and stayed married to her for 50 years. So, you know, when things get hard, you do just have to hang on sometimes and push through. But that's not what my parents decided to do. So what was the aftermath of their divorce? You know, the, the, the number of, you said five times. Um, how did that play out in the contentment or discontentment in her life, your mother's life? I, I don't think she was very content, at least probably not in who she was. I loved her. I forgave her. But I remember with each new husband or boyfriend, it, it was like she gave a little bit up of herself and she became like that person. And it was kind of a joke among the kids. And even with you and I, Dennis was like, hey, when's she going to, if she would just hurry up and get married so she could be herself again. 
And so instead of going into the relationship with knowing who she was and what she loved and and secure in who she, you know, the, the person that she was, instead she was like a chameleon and became like that person. And then when she got married, her, um, her real self came out. And that was probably a little deceptive for those spouses that she didn't end up staying with. The battalion of spouses. Yeah, she ended up having the 18-year marriage with my dad, and then she ended up with her last husband before she died. They were married 25 years. So she did have some longevity in her marriages. It was just that she had many after my dad, the three more, that um, she just couldn't figure it out. You know, she just wasn't content, I don't think, in who she was. So, so how did those events impact you as an adolescent you know, and choosing the boyfriends, uh, looking towards the husband that might one day come into your life. Uh, how cautious were you? I decided that I wanted to do it different than she did it. And, you know, I was just talking to a friend today about that, that, you know, though I forgave her and I loved her and we enjoyed a good relationship, I would say, I never asked her for advice. And I I'm thinking now that that was probably why, you know, I didn't see her as wise in relationships. Um, She was wise in other ways, but in relationships, um, it was, she just wasn't. You know, longevity in marriage creates a strange sort of reality when people ask you and me, hey, how can you be married to the same person year after year? I mean, (laughs) I get that. You've gotten it. I say strange. Uh, Really, because the reality of this whole situation is that we're not married to the same person year after year, are we? No, because if we are truly growing, hopefully we're growing together. But if we're truly growing, then we get to know each other on different levels, deeper levels, uh, more mature levels. Um, As Christians, as we get to know the Lord better, then we, we have a more selfless love. So in the beginning of our marriage, it wasn't a very selfless love. It was a very selfish love. And we both wanted our way desperately, and we really fought about it. But as time went on, uh, we realized that, you know, this is not just about me. This is about the other person. This is about our family. This is about what we're creating together. And so we're really, we kind of joke that we've been married to the same person four different times or four different people um, four times. And that's because we've both grown to love each other deeper and in, in different ways. Yeah, I, I remember speaking at a public event Oh, just earlier this year, and I said, I've been married to four women named Susan, and she's been married to four men named Dennis. And people came up to me afterwards, and they said, how odd is that? Was it just a name you liked? I go, more than that, it's the same person I liked. And then the lights went off, and oh, I see what you're saying. So, you, you know, you and I have seen marriages fail all around us over these four decades, What are a couple of the main reasons you've seen those marriages fail? And how can people listening, you know, to this episode be encouraged to stay the course and remain married? Well, I think that most of the time when I see marriages fail, it's because they really haven't put into practice persevering 
and they expect the other person to meet all their needs. And honestly, you can never meet all of the needs of another person. You have to look to the Lord to do that. And um, yes, we, we do need to meet each other's needs, but that cannot be our, our primary goal in marriage. Another person does not make us happy. That has to come from within and from God. And, and also, I just, I look at um, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, where it's the love chapter in the Bible, and, and it just says it best. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I think that just really sums it up. We were originally married in kind of a new age type of religious service back in 1977. Then a couple of years later, we were both still searching for a deeper faith, kind of a faith based on the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Eh? Orthodox Christianity, I guess you might say. We did this together as a married couple. We searched. What do you have to say to a couple that may have zero interest in the spiritual dimension of living together? Okay, so spiritual faith. Um, I think that everyone wonders what life is all about. Everyone has a spirituality about them. And for me, it has really been helped. It has really helped me and my relationship with my husband, with you, Dennis, to know that I don't have all the answers. And so looking to God to help me, looking to the Word of God has really given me kind of a, a place to go when I don't know what to do, when I don't know um, what's next. It's kind of a roadmap. And I've also found that when I'm seeking the Lord and when Dennis is seeking the Lord. If we're both seeking the Lord, it's kind of like if you could see an inverted triangle and I'm one part of that triangle, one corner, and Dennis is the other corner, and Jesus is the top corner. If we're both seeking him, then we're going to get closer to each other as we seek him. And I just think if you're not seeking God in your relationship, then it's just all about you and it's it's difficult to get it right. Yeah, it's going to be... Uh... No equal sides. Things are going to be unfair and unequal. Well, conversely, okay, uh, you and I stumbled into Christianity. Uh, what did you notice about how we as a couple changed in our own relationship toward each other? And how can you know that help those who are spiritually searching? Yes, I think that, that it was the thing that gave us the most hope because we weren't Christians when we were saved or when we were first married. And that roadmap really gave us some structure to go to. And that helped us get through the hard times. And there were many hard times. So, um, 
Yeah, without the Bible, I don't know. I don't think we would have made it. Yeah, you know, I've, I often think about the fact we get so used to GPS, you know, when we're driving, and you and I love road trips. Um, turn here, turn there, make a U-turn, go there. And, and yet, we wouldn't—we don't even think about the GPS that God gives us through the Bible— to say, wait, stop here. Don't go down that road. Nope, turn around. He says it. He gives it to us. And I love I love uh, what Cliff Hancock once told me, good friend of mine, a good friend of ours. He said, the B-I-B-L-E is the basic instructions before leaving Earth. It's a good roadmap. In fact, it's a great roadmap. So, um, you know, here's the deal. You mentioned about how tough at times our own marriage has been. People in marriages blow it, you know, all the time. And from the, the, it ranges from the petty things that are sarcastically said to the irritating ongoing habits that bug the crap out of one's spouse. Ultimately, some experience really that soul-ripping pain of when a partner in the marriage chooses to dishonor their vows, and cheats on the other spouse. As you and I have helped people in each of these types of actions and reactions, what place does either an apology or a request for forgiveness play? And by the way, what's the difference between the two? Well, first of all, an apology is one-sided. So I can say I'm sorry to someone, and that's appropriate a lot of times. But when you say, will you forgive me, it makes the other person, it gives them the opportunity to say yes or no. And so it's not just a monologue, but it's a dialogue between two people. And we found in our marriage that that has really helped us. And that's what we taught our kids to do too. And at first, you know, it's hard. It's really hard to ask for forgiveness because it's, it's, Letting the other person know that you really do find this particular thing that you're at fault with, and you are seeking some sort of resolve with them. And um, it's, it's important, whether it's little things or big things. And if you can't do it on the little things, you'll never be able to do it on the big things. And that's the cornerstone. Yeah, one's, in a sense, the little things are the practice. And the big things are the play. So as football coaches and soccer coaches and other sports coaches, I always say, you're going to play like you practice. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's just so true. You know, you, you do play like you practice. So practice it now so that when the big things come, because they will come, then you'll know how to do that. Good to have you in the studio, my sweet Sue. You know, as we come in for a landing, let's talk a little bit about the part humor and laughter play in the longevity of a healthy marriage. Share how you and I make each other laugh and why it's necessary to laugh. Okay, laughter is something that we enjoyed from the very earliest part. I think that's what attracted me to Dennis in the first place was just his ability to laugh and make light of life and carry on like nobody that I had ever met. 
And so marrying him really meant we needed to have that in our marriage. I'm too. in the studio. You can I say know, it to I me. Yes. You know, I'm okay with that. <laughs> so anyway, he we tease each other and um just have a lot of fun together. And that it's just so important in a marriage to be able to laugh together and find that humor, find things about each other that you can laugh with each other about, sometimes even tease each other and uh, make, you know, make light of yourself and not take life so seriously. So even when there's times when it's kind of a serious situation, we will sometimes make light of those situations and make each other laugh because otherwise you just want to cry. And it's better if you laugh. So laughter is a deep emotion. Let's, just hear, as, let's hear some examples. What are some of the things? All right. Like I, when you goose me going up the <laughs> stairs? <laughs> that, that has been a fun thing where yeah. I just simply look and say, where's that? Boom. And all of a sudden, she, you look at me. You want to slap me, but you keep laughing. Oh, my goodness. I love the fact that when I'm tired and we're driving, or someone else is driving, and I go into a... Your voices? My voices of radio personalities or people being interviewed, and I get you laughing. Oh, my goodness. One time, we were driving home from Disneyland after... We lived in California at the time, and we'd gone to, I think it was an Angels slash Disney day. So we went to an Angels game first, and then we went to a... Disneyland, and we're driving home. We're with some really good friends, and they, Dennis and our friend John Vanderwindy, started in on the dating game. And oh my gosh, <laughs> his wife and I were laughing so hard. Leah laughed and cackled oh. with you laughing and cackling. Now, the thing about it was, it was all improv. Right. And we had no scripts. We didn't need a script because sometimes things in life are just funny. I mean, okay, so in this heightened sense of, oh, don't have, uh, don't hurt people's feelings. Sometimes when you see a guy like, you know, sometimes me dressed like a goofball, you can't help but look and go, go home, change, come back. You know, and chuckle about it. Are you degrading the human being? No, but you're certainly calling into question. Like when his you wear uh, formal shoes with shorts, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Wait, now that that's a style I'm trying to set. <laughs> and, and when you when you call me out on that, it makes me laugh, and then it makes me want to wear them even more because I've that because you start laughing. And then, then there's this sort of overwhelming embarrassment that I have to just breathe in and breathe out and realize, I like these shoes. I'm wearing them. And we, we can laugh about things. We see things on television or uh, listen to things on podcasts or on Repeating books on movie tape. lines. Oh, repeating movie lines. Which I'm not very it's good at. It's inconceivable. It is Dennis's. One of his talents that makes me laugh, well, and our oh, children have picked up on that, only too. Only because I'm your huckleberry. Only because I'm your huckleberry. And we do. So, so okay, what about a moment in an attorney's office? 
when we went oh my to get a will, our will updated, and our family trust done. This oh, took yes. a lot of planning. So it's a very serious moment. And Dennis has always joked that after I die, because surely I will die before him, he's going to have my body stuffed and put in the corner of a room. And so I always just laugh that he wouldn't want me staring at him all the time, but he insists that that's what he's going to do. So what does he do? He has our attorney write that into the will. And here I am reading it, making sure that, you know, all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. And I come to this line that says that upon my death, I will be stuffed and put in the corner of a room. And I'm like, what? What is this all about? And of course, everyone in the room is in on the joke and everybody's laughing. Oh, you make me smile as I'm even sitting here. Hey, look, I think one of the most enjoyable things that we did with our kids was, you know, was when we went on road trips. We're even doing that with our grandkids now. We are. Uh, We had a recent one with our youngest, uh, pardon me, with our oldest grandchild, our grandson. And parts of it were really fun. Some of it was tough because he was 10 at the time and kind of a royal pain in the rump. But that's what you do. That's what trips do is they they bond you together because you have times of stress and times of, of laughing and all those things in between. And they just they just pull your heartstrings and pull you together if you'll let them. Yeah. Gary Smalley, um, a noted family uh, and marriage counselor, said that camping and travel trips and road trips were the best, especially when they went bad. Because it forced all of the family members in his family, and certainly in our family as well, to come together, to figure it out. And in this particular case, we traveled most of uh, Lewis and Clark's trip across um, the northern part of the United States, then through Idaho, and then over to the coast. And there were times where I thought, honey... You know, we brought our grandson, but I'm not certain we're going to keep our grandson. And you had to keep working with me with a sense of humor. Mm. And, conflict and I, resolution. Conflict resolution. It's what every marriage and family needs. They need to know how to have conflict resolution. And those places that you get pushed, you know, vacations or camping or even just at home over homework, Um, Or in your marriage, you know, when you don't see eye to eye, it's learning to solve the conflict. That's the hard stuff, but it's also the thing that can give you the most intimacy if you learn to do it and you learn to do it well. Hey, is there anything else you want to share with our podcast listeners that's helped us maintain the longevity of our marriage, our love, and our lives? And, you know, any specific book that you would suggest uh, our listeners get a hold of? I mean, one that we just might be a good example, the one that we just came across, How We Love. Yes, How We Love. I'm trying to remember the authors, though. It's, it's uh, Yerblinsky or someone, Mylon Yerblinsky. It doesn't matter. But people can can pull it out. I, I, I just thought about it just this second. Because we listened to the entire book uh, to help with some family members who are having conflict right now. But also to, to help grow ourselves up. There's yeah, remarkable, there wasn't are it? several books that we have read that have been very instrumental. Uh, How We Love is a new one that we just f- 
found. Um, it's not a new book, however, but it talks about love styles and it goes back a little bit into how you were raised. And so how you um, solve conflict, how you relate to one another because of how you were raised. And it, it isn't a book that makes you go back and diss on your parents or anything like that. But it just says, you know, looking at how you were raised can give you some insight in how you relate to each other. Very powerful book. And um, also the Love Languages book has been powerful for us with our with each other and with our kids. And um, there's a few few others that that have been helpful. They have been. Well, you know, resources are available. And uh, certainly if you go to DennisMansfield.com and connect with me uh, by email, I'll make sure that I send you a list of those. But listen, I just got to say this, okay? I learned a long time ago two re really true things, strong things. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, okay? I also learned... The daddy's the head of the house, and mama's the neck that turns the head. <laughs> Be encouraged, folks. All of our lives can improve. Marriages can heal. Deep hurts and pains can be fixed and even forgiven. Sweetheart, thanks for being on the episode today. Thanks for having me. I'm Dennis Mansfield, your host for Just Around the Corner. Thanks to Colin Mansfield, Michael Seals, and Ken Adams for their production work on today's episode, and to Kevin Miller in the morning for his inspiration. And thank you for taking the time to join us on this episode and enjoy, really, what's next in your life. Because as John Hay, one of the world's most famous men in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, once wrote to a friend, all the best gifts are just around the corner.